Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a foreign dreamer who started from being a flight attendant and worked her way up into now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and seasoned entrepreneur in multiple successful ventures. This podcast is for the awakened dreamer. Industry icons will share their humble beginnings up to the leaders they are today. Let's all learn and be inspired. Together, we can all prosper. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. It's a podcast for the dreamers, more importantly, the doers. I'm your host, Melody. Joining us here today is a neuroscience researcher, and he is the creator of Neuro Wisdom 101. He is the leading expert in spirituality, communication, and mindfulness techniques. He authored 14 books, and one of his books called How God Changes Your Brain was actually chosen by Oprah and is now listed in the must-read books in 2012. He's also a member of the executive MBA faculty at the Loyola Marymount University. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome Mark Waldman. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. I am delighted to be here. It's so wonderful that we connect. It's so wonderful that we connected because you were in my, uh, you know, the executive MBA program. At 2014, LM- Mark, can you believe that? I think 2014, 2015. Well, I am, um, as you said, delighted that we uh, reconnected. Um, so let's have fun with this, Mark. Ready? I'll roll with you. <laughs> All right. So if uh, let's start off by defining what neuro wisdom is uh, for our audience. I chose that particular word because most people don't realize that there is a very special part of your brain, two tiny structures. One's called the anterior cingulate and the other one's called the insula. And these parts of your brain actually access to your deepest intuitive insights about life. It's also the key part of your ability to relate to and empathize and feel compassion towards others and towards yourself. And the cool thing about it is that there is one strategy that can be used to stimulate that part of your brain. And when it does so, it creates kind of a, an ideal balance between all these other brain networks. Mm-hmm. And it's any form of relaxed, mindful awareness. If you just pause and you go inwards and you ground yourself, in that particular state, your brain is functioning better than it does when we're focused on the, when we're focused on an attention or doing almost anything else. Mark, did you coin that word, neural wisdom? Yes. That is spectacular. That's pretty awesome. Very neat. Uh, now, while we're defining some terms here, I know those that have dabbled into mindfulness uh, material readings, they have encountered the word uh, Kundalini. Personally, I'm intrigued as to what that really means. <laughs> Can you uh, enlighten us by um, defining and simplifying that term? Well, that's a great word. Can I enlighten you? Because that was the whole purpose of, of Kundalini. And now in the Eastern tradition, Kundalini is considered an energy that starts at the base of your spine and twists up and opens up each of these different chakras, and then you become uh, enlightened. 
Now, I just happened to be the first person to do a case history study that was published in the Journal of Transpersonal Psychology. This goes all the way back to 1993. And I had my doubts and skepticism about uh, what this was doing. It turns out that when you engage in incredibly powerful, deep meditations, like maybe intense chanting with music, you can enter altered states where you pretty much suspend everyday consciousness and it opens up a part of your brain, which we'll call the default mode network or your imagination network. And it's like you are in a dream state. You are in a state that is literally psychedelic and it's kind of amazing for most people. And a few people actually have a psychotic break from it. <laughs> no way. Uh, so is that something that when you really... Uh, put your mind, heart, soul in meditating that you experience that? Or is that sort of a, a mythical, rare uh, type of uh, experience? Is that something well, that one normally gets? Well, let me explain that by giving just a brief history. Uh, Andy Newberg and I, we are the world's leading experts in spirituality and the brain and states of consciousness. So going all the way back to the beginning of this uh, two decades ago, uh, Andy and I would be doing experiments with what's going on in the brain of a Buddhist meditator or a Franciscan nun, you know, meditating on a passage uh, from the Bible or a Sikh process where a person is going, Satanama. Or the rosary maybe, right? When you're praying the rosary. Oh, all kinds of things, but you know, also Pentecostals speaking in tongues, atheists uh, praying to God, and let's see what's going on in, in the in the brain. Of that anyway. So we we've done all of those types of studies. The gentle forms of contemplative meditation, where you are focusing inward, and it could be mindfulness, it could be transcendental meditation, it could be these Sikh Hindu anything that is gentle and reflective has a particular type of signature in the brain. And that's where that anterior cingulate and insula that I mentioned earlier, we'll just call that, it's part of the salience network. It gets stimulated in a way that again, creates this ideal balance between your creativity and imagination, your ability to focus your attention on any goal or desire uh, that you have. But, with speaking in tongues, where you're kind of putting on, uh, you're, you're kind of putting on jazz, you know, jazz music. I don't know if you've ever been to a Pentecostal. Oh, jazz. <laughs> Smooth jazz. It, it's utterly amazing because everyone in the room, a thousand people are sitting there just putting themselves dancing into a trance state. And then some people begin to speak in tongues and others fall over and others catch them and you're letting the Holy Spirit move through you. Uh, that or even like in the Sufi practice where you're going la ilaha illa la and in the Kundalini practices as well you might be doing incredibly deep breathing and in 11 minutes you start to hallucinate and it's almost the opposite effect on your brain your ability to be conscious is turned off the part of your brain your parietal lobe that creates a sense of yourself disappears and there's virtually no you, no me. You kind of become immersed in the experience. When you do these more intense meditations and they shut down, 
it basically, your whole belief system is suspended. So you're in a state where you're kind of free of the way we normally think about ourselves in the world. And sometimes when you come out of that state, that's where you have those profound aha experiences. It's like, oh, wow, I just saw myself and the world and the universe in a totally different way. And that can be life transforming. And that's what we would consider to be, uh, you know, either a, a little tiny, we call it, uh, you know, a little E enlightenment or kind of an aha inside experience experience, or if it just literally just changes your whole worldview, we would call that a big E or an enlightenment experience, kind of like in the East, where your sense of re reality falls away. See, our brain puts together a view of the world that actually is quite different from how reality actually is. It doesn't care. You know, it's like if you, if you think about a a bee or a fly that has, you know, a, a thousand different eyes and whatever else, they're seeing a totally different reality than we are, but it's very functional for that creature. Right. We, we too have a different reality. So the question is, can you enter a state where you can get outside of your mind to see what actually is there? In one sense, we don't think that's possible, but you can catch glimpses of it. And to do that, you have to be willing to suspend your belief system about everything. So I had the privilege of, uh, of being in your class, right? The, is it the NeuroWisdom 101 class? I, and I remember I was, I was the nerd that devoured <laughs> all the materials. So I was really seriously engrossed uh, with, with all that 58 days of challenge of, of really opening up. Uh, to this new world that you uh, introduced us. So uh, thank you, Mark, uh, for that experience. And I specifically uh, remember uh, the exercise uh, or the, your introduction on this technique on mindful yawning. Uh, <laughs> yes. And the bell. And the mindfulness bell and how by doing so helps maintain the health of uh, your brain. Can you share with us uh, more about that powerful technique? Yes, uh, we came up with this uh, when, we, when I was putting together the book with Andy called How God Changes Your Brain. Mm -hmm. I began to come across a whole bunch of research that yawning is a particular framework that helps your brain become highly focused. You have to be very deeply relaxed to do that. But think about it. What does every dog and cat and even every bird do the moment they wake up? They, whether it's a lion, you know, or an opossum. I mean, you can go to YouTube and you can see that almost every type of mammal, when they wake up, do this incredible yep. stretch and they yawn. And what the yawn is doing, it's a thermoregulatory mechanism. When we're coming out of a deep state of sleep, you know, and that kind of dreamlike fuzziness, this part of your brain with that, that imagination network is incredibly active. But in order for us to do anything, for me to pick words out, to speak to you, to get out of bed, to brush my teeth, to do anything, I have to turn off that incredible imagination because it can go everywhere. It's going 30 times faster than we could possibly make sense of consciously. 
The yawning basically is increasing cerebral blood flow and wherever your brain is overly active, overly busy. So for example, the same thing is true for anxiety. Anxiety is part of your imagination network. This is the part of your brain saying, oh, maybe this is going to go wrong and maybe that will happen. It's like, is generating all kinds of possible things that may or may not happen in the future. It has nothing what to do with the here and now. And if there is a problem in the world, you can't be caught up in your imagination. You have to be present right now to deal with whatever the, to deal with whatever the problem is. So the yawning basically brings cerebral blood flow and it's kind of like a radiator in your car, your engine, where the engine gets overheated, too much neurological activity literally generates heat. So if you're angry, for example, that too is part of the fantasy part of your brain, you're, you're literally hot headed. So a yawn will slow that down. It also, anytime there's a neurological disorder like multiple sclerosis uh, or having, uh, you know, having, uh, what, what am I calling it? Uh, migraines, uh, even seizures, it turns out that the brain is designed to do a whole bunch of yawning and temporarily most neurological disorders can be suspended. Uh, so we had a, uh -huh. Person one time who actually used yawning to get rid of daily minor seizures. But the other thing about yawning, you cannot get into the state of, of, of relaxed, mindful awareness if there's too much physical tension going on and if there's too much mental activity going on. And of course, for the executive MBA program, we discovered that. Um, you know, somebody who's who is running a multi-million dollar company, they're not going to sit down twice a day and do a 20 or a 40 minute meditation. We couldn't even get all of our students to commit to five minutes a day. But we did find out that a very busy executive is willing to commit 60 seconds once a day, maybe even once an hour to simply pause for a moment and maybe do a 10 second mindful yawn or a 10 second super slow stretch, or even just thinking about what is my deepest innermost value. And by focusing on that, 90% of our students over the eight years that we taught this particular program, they reported that their stress levels went down and their work productivity goes up. Mm -hmm. Now, I would love to guide you and everyone who's watching this through the actual experience because these are just words. So three mindful yawns can put you into that state within a minute or two where you can have these profound intuitive insights about anything and be so much in the present moment that you can make better decisions about anything, but it's going to suspend everything that you're doing and thinking about right now. Can I guide you through that? Let's do it. <laughs> Now, what I mean by a mindful yawn, because the other thing is, is that normally mindfulness practice, you have to go through eight weeks of class with, again, those 20 to 40 minute practices every day. You don't have to do that. Our new research shows that you literally only need to do 10 seconds of mindfulness a couple times an hour throughout the day, and you'll have far more valuable effects in the workplace. So you can just do a few mindful yawns or a stretch and you'll be able to communicate better with your spouse, with your kid, with a colleague at work, and you can solve problems 
much more quickly if you're all doing the yawning together. So Love it. So pay attention to where the first yawn begins. We'll do it with eyes closed. That helps you, your brain to turn inward. Pay attention to what that yawn feels like as you yawn. And then after you've yawned, just sit there and notice if there's any shift in your mental state or mood. For some of you, you won't notice anything. And for others, particularly since uh, uh, you've had experience with this, might already go into an altered state. So I will do it with you and it will change the mental state and mood that you're currently in. So everyone, close your eyes and let's do our first mindful yawn. I'll just use a bell as a reminder. <sighs> Even listening to my yawn might make you spontaneously yawn and you can fake it. So tell me, Melody, do you notice anything from that first mindful yawn? It truly is relaxing. I think you can see it in my face too. <laughs> How there's that um, softness, I think, in, in the eyes and maybe even the voice, right? So it truly relaxes. So oh, as you are describing this, have you fallen out of that state of relaxation? I was just no thought, just experiencing. But what about right now? So you see, we step into that state, but the moment we start talking about something, oh. we've stepped out of that state and we're back into everyday consciousness. This is your central executive network that if you put your fingers here, that's your dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And this is where it pulls up memories from the past, finds the words to speak. But when that's turned on, that state of relaxation is turned off. So let's do a second mindful yawn because what I'm going to do is after going through three mindful yawns, we can have a conversation in a very different way. And all of you who are watching this video, you'll actually be hearing us in a different way than you normally do. So I want to put you in that state of relaxed, mindful awareness that normally takes eight weeks of training, but we're going to do so in 60 seconds. So everyone, let's do a second mindful yawn. And again, just sit quietly for about 10 seconds and see if you notice any shift in your mental state or your mood. Do you notice anything different this time, Melody? Really peace, peaceful, no stress. And anything physical that was kind of here, I don't know. <laughs> it was like lighter. I feel so lighter. Just, just pause right there. Did you notice the difference in how you were speaking and your facial expression? Totally, totally. No, for sure. This is something I think really invaluable, you know, having that super brief moment where you can alter, alter one's mood, right? It's disarming too. <laughs> 
But there's one more step because with this third mindful yawn, and for those of you who who aren't experiencing that, like you know, there's always ten percent of individuals are going, "What's going on in this?" Sometimes a super slow movement or focusing on a deep inner value. Those are the three most uh, easiest ways to get into these altered states. With this third mindful yawn, both you and I are going to stay in that state. We'll open up our eyes and stay in that state. And we'll let our intuition select whatever words there are. And a different kind of spontaneous conversation will emerge. Shall we do that? Let's do it. And all of you can, and if you put yourself in this, if you're watching this, you will both hear and see, you will be listening to us in a different way. And we'll be speaking in a different way back and forth. And each of us are only going to speak about maybe 10 or 20 words so that we don't fall back into this state of everyday consciousness. And this is where the magic happens. This is dialogue meditation and you're using your intuition and you can listen better. And one of the reasons why we only are going to speak about 10 or 20 words and count our words, if it's too hard to do is that consciously we can only remember about 10 or 20 words of what we said. If I was to ask you, Melody, right now, share with me accurately anything that you and I said in the beginning of our interview. Can you remember it? About, uh, it's delightful for us to reconnect. <laughs> that I remember. And um, how... Time flies. I don't know. <laughs> That's why yeah, I remember. I don't know. Our brain, we normally speak about three minutes uh, before we stop and the other person then responds. But in those three minutes, we've used, uh, you know, we've spoken about maybe three to 500 words, but the other person's brain has only focused on maybe 10 or 20 or 30 of those words. That's why we're almost always miscommunicating. We're going back and forth between that focused attention and that mind wandering daydream like state. But that's where your brain is selecting the words that I say that are valuable for you. For me, exactly. We're all selective <laughs> and sort of intentional with what we what we absorb, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to be on the same page with somebody, you know, your partner, your lover, even your kid, if you play the game of being deeply relaxed and speaking no more than 20 words, you will yes. have neural empathy. That is so true. How powerful uh, that is. As a matter of fact, oh, we're, we're doing another one, right? We're going to do that. Now, we don't have, no, you can never stay in this state. This is the interesting thing about uh, brain scan studies of meditation. We never stay in that relaxed meditative state for more than 20 seconds. Your brain has to shift back and forth between that wild, fast-forming, creative imagination, maybe this, maybe that, possibly this, possibly that. And then, okay, I need to do A, B, C, and D to achieve whatever my, what I think my goal is. But if we consciously go back and forth and just, you know, do another mindful yawn or even just slightly stroking of your fingertips to stay in the present moment, mm -hmm. and we practice consciously these 10 words back and forth, we get into the habit of learning how to 
go in and out of these relaxed state of mindful awareness, these brief meditations, 10 second meditations. And when we do that, that's what creates that ideal balance and shifting back and forth between this imagination, daydreaming, mind wandering network and your ability to focus your attention on achieving a particular goal. Right. The third night, right. you and I will try, if it's possible, <laughs> to have a conversation for a few minutes following our intuition, not what we think we want to say or whatever script you and I uh, might have about what we should say. So all of you will do this third mindful yawn and let our words flow through you when we begin to chat. And Melody, you and I will each speak about 10 words. We'll go back into a mindful yawn or a relaxed state, listen deeply to the other person. And we'll both be incredibly surprised at where this spontaneous conversation takes us. Third mindful yawn, everyone. And all you and I have to do is to open our eyes and stay in this state. Just what's the first thought that comes to your mind in this state? Not what you think you should say, but what just kind of flows into your consciousness from wherever. I feel peace flowing through me. And how about you? I feel so excited because my intuition wants to ask you the following question. And what would that be? What does your intuition, that neurowisdom, really would like to ask right now? What question feels salient? Mm -hmm. Core value that one could say to help improve productivity. Let me ask you and myself and ask everyone who's listening to this to go back into that deeply relaxed mindful state and ask your intuition, what is one of your deepest innermost values? And see if you can find a single word that captures something that is like essential to your being. I'll just ring the bell as a reminder to go into that state of relaxed, mindful awareness. What's the first word that comes to you? Happiness. Kindness? Happiness. 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 What came to me was pleasure. Both <laughs> of us and everyone listening, just take a moment now and savor happiness, pleasure, and whatever word came to your mind. So we'll all know that we're doing this together. It's kind of cool just to think that, that we're all pleasure, 
happiness, peace, excitement. Freedom. These, this is the inner value word that we actually discovered in our first class with our executive MBA students. If you close your eyes and you find one deep inner value word that you feel will help you through the workday, uh -huh. and you set a mindfulness clock onto your cell phone where you hear this bell, maybe have it set to go off three times an hour, even if you're in the midst of something intensely work and you hear that first bell, just take 10 seconds and do a mindful yawn or a super slow stretch or focus in on that deep inner value and you'll feel a warmth go through you when you throw yourself back to work. That's why 90% of the students and throughout the world, wherever we do this with, find that they are more focused, they're more relaxed, they become more productive. And I always love what somebody in our class would always say, like uh, in, in, in one of the classes, I don't know if it was the one that you were in, uh, one of the executive MBA students ran a whole department of the army. And so at the end, we have a person do this for just 10 days, wake up in the morning, what is, you know, what's your deepest innermost value, write it down. And then we have some questions at the end. And the first question is, what was your first reaction to being asked to do this? Do you remember what your first reaction was? I remember truly being excited because prior to, prior to your class, I flew all the way to Canada to do this uh, silver mine training, which is quite similar. And then a few months after I get into this MBA program, nowhere in my thought process that I would be having this course. And lo and behold, um, you were actually, your course was one of the first um, modules that we had to tackle. So I was really crazy excited, <laughs> totally engrossed with, with the subject matter. And I was, was a nerd in the class. <laughs> it was required because, you know, everyone in our class are, are running companies 12 hours a day during the week. And then you have to come in for the weekend and, and spend all weekend doing the, uh, the EMBA program. Lowering stress levels to stay focused is absolutely essential to get through the whole program. So I became required and, you know, and so, but there's always somebody in the class, like this uh, person who ran this army department who, who said, what was your first reaction? And he said, what kind of BS? And I don't think he meant brain science is this, you know, for an accounting class, cause accounting was, you know, it's the first, <laughs> first large module for that thing. But he said, and said, and after four days, I felt such a shift in my awareness and my ability to focus. And he said, every, you know, every MBA student throughout the world should be taught this exercise. You know, actually I could still remember there's maybe more than half of the class that really had like a heavy pushback on, on the subject matter. And they were like totally bewildered, like why on earth? Are we uh, are we doing that? So so for uh, uh, so that is so true. That is very accurate. And in my head, I was listening and watching how these people are like opposing, you know, um, really almost rebelling 
that they didn't go to this MBA program uh, to, to get into this type of module. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, after, after a few days or weeks, some took longer to really embrace uh, the concept, but finally they were able to, to turn around and, and, and understand why this is actually invaluable. Well, we, found, we found out after 10 days, 90% uh, of everyone in the class uh, said, this is really cool and great. And certainly was relaxing in the, in the busy part of our first day. Uh, and, but what about the other, but what about the other 10%? Well, then we have them just do a super slow roll of their head. You like, you take a full 60 seconds and the slower you go, if you feel a little ache and pain and you yawn into it, we discovered that the pain would disappear. It turns out that yawning regulates all kinds of pain centers in your brain. And that one is how you become more aware of your body. Now, there would always be one student in every class who didn't get anything from this. And that student was our problem student for the rest of the year. So I don't know what happened in your class, but there, you know, when you get into the teamwork games, you have to be relaxed and just, you know, being able to be aware and present with each other because it suspends your ability to be defensive or argumentative. And we, you know, it, this was so successful that the Dean of the business program asked me to tell all the other faculty members who that one student was, because we knew that was going to be a problem student. They were just so wound up and so tested. And so we would give that student extra attention so that they can not be overwhelmed by their own negative thoughts or feelings or stress or anxiety. Uh -huh. Wow, wow. Um, and I think I know who you're referring to. <laughs> well, it was a different person, different person needs class. But again, here we've been, you know, we enter that state, you come up with an interesting question, values, we savor that values. Now we're talking about it, but probably from a different state all of us now we just yawn and stretch and relax we come back into the present moment but you Join know what me. mark i think also part of the reason why that technique works is um, how when you're yawning you're really taking in a lot of oxygen and as we know oxygen is the uh, food of the brain right four no. minutes without it you're dead <laughs> four minutes and your brain dead and another pure, four to six minutes. pseudoscience, not true at all. Not true? It's increasing cerebral blood flow. Uh -huh. Oh, so it's not the oxygen, it's the blood. No. See, we're all, we've all been body focused most of the time. So people think about bringing oxygen into the lungs and getting the oxygen through the right. blood and everywhere else. No, it, this is the cool thing about neuroscience. It always points out a different and better uh, solution to most of our problems because we just didn't ever know prior to 1998 what what was what was going on in here i mean this whole brain network theory is only a few years old where you can actually through a single mindful yawn you know and becoming aware of what that mindful yawn feels like you've just reset the activity in these different networks in your brain in a way that allows you to talk better connect better and so in this state of relaxed mindful awareness, 
you can create a conversation with anyone that undermines the ability to get argumentative or defensive. Mm -hmm. So as you remember, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the next module of what I would taught was compassionate communication. We pair everybody up to sit with each other and you had to keep talking slower and slower and slower and listening just to have the experience that we've never been taught how to speak or listen in a way that creates a neurological connection with each that other. That is actually my favorite, my favorite topic amongst, I mean, there were a lot of takeaways truly, but that brain-based um, effective communication really, um, till today, I still have uh, my notes. Uh, it's in my phone, actually, <laughs> to make sure that I could always um, literally go back because I find it really uh, a simple, b um, you know quite easy to uh, to teach even to uh, even to my kids. Um, but I, I really find it very effective. Um, you know, even dealing with uh, let's say uh, difficult difficult uh, clients or or team members or, or what have you. <laughs> and because this was so amazingly, it, I mean, it blew all of us as faculty members, it blew us away. It's like, wow, you really can create better uh, connection with another person with a single mindful yawn or super slow stretch or a deep inner value or just pulling up a pleasant memory. And of course, all of this is evidence-based, brain-based neuroscience, a lot of it from our own uh, research. And it was so effective that in our last two years of teaching this before, before we retired from it, this became our textbook, which is called Neurowisdom. And so everything we're talking about is the application of these brief relaxation, mindfulness, and communication strategies to bring into the workplace. But you can also bring it into your home, like with kids, for example, we talk to our kids way too long and their brains can only remember 10 words. If you sit down and you tell them, I'm only allowed to speak 10 words, then you speak 10 words, they light up. And you can actually get your kids to feel listened to for the very first time. And you can actually get them to change behavior. So that book, um, it's, available, it's available on Amazon, right? The book is available on Amazon, but reading exercises and whatever else in this particular form becomes a very passive activity. There, there's another thing that we developed at LMU, it's called brain-based experiential learning. So just like in speaking, ideally, if it's important, we speak maybe 10 or 20 words, pause, the other person responds. That's the only way we know if we're on the same page. The same thing with when reading anything. You should not read a book from cover to cover. Start scanning any type of book you want to scan. And this was our this was our other textbook. Uh, you know, for the class that you've got different chapters on. This is this is the communication strategy. Instead of reading it that way, so we didn't assign anything specific. It was like okay. Just scan through it. What do you find interesting? Oh, that's an interesting paragraph. Okay, read that paragraph, then close your eyes, yawn, stretch, and relax, and 
let your intuition absorb what's important and skip anything that you find uninteresting. What an incredible form of teaching to say, hey, everybody's brain chooses what's important to it to learn. You can give them the book, you can listen to my lecture, but just pause after even reading a single page and close your eyes. And everyone, I'd like you to do this for a moment and ask your intuition. What have you found to be the most interesting or valuable or useful in anything that we've been talking about, you know, for the last half hour and see what your intuition says. And the teacher should do this as well, too. What comes to your mind? What have you found to be the most uniquely valuable to you? Oh, for me, it, um, it's, it, re it truly reduces stress. And with one of my value would be, um, would be health, you know, being healthy, mind, body, spirit, having to still contend with running a business, businesses, you know, running a team, you know, there's going to be all these um, factors that you can't control. But once, um, once we have this mindful techniques that we use, it truly helps with, uh, with reducing anxiety or maybe even eliminating a negative, uh, negative stress, right? Now, everybody else who's listening, this is the cool thing, you know, and we even did it uh, in our classroom. I would lecture or I would show, you know, a PowerPoint presentation. I'm sure you remember that neuron that it imploded because it had too much stress. But that one actually caused a lot of people to say, well, maybe I'm really going to experiment with these strategies. Everyone listening to this has probably come up with a different insight of what they found valuable. And the really cool thing is a lot of you or in any class will come up with insights that had nothing to do with what I said. And we as teachers, whether we be a teacher in a class or, uh, you know, a parent with our kids have to honor and respect the unique way that the other person makes sense of our exchange. Most of the time, we think we should impose our belief system on somebody else and we won't give you a good grade or we, you know, or we won't yell at you as a kid uh, if you follow my rules. So brain-based experiential learning is the exact opposite. Don't follow my rules. Don't assume that anything I'm saying should be remembered or valued, even for a test. That test has to be Basically, I'm interested in what you found to be the most stimulating and interesting and how might you apply that to your life? When was the last time you were ever in a classroom where the teacher did that? Right. Yeah. Been a while, especially with the pandemic, right? <laughs> Everyone is uh, hashtag stay home. Uh, so, yeah, I would imagine it'll be at least a year for, for a lot of for our audiences, right? But the wonderful thing is, because this is my homework assignment to everyone who's listening to this, I want you to go out and experiment. Don't assume that anything I say is true or not. Go teach somebody else how to do three mindful yawns and to have this intuitive dialogue back and forth in 10 or 20 words. 
every time you do that, it'll blow you away. It'll be a unique experience, but you'll also see you can build profound intimacy in about four minutes, even with a stranger doing this. And that's the wonderful thing about Zoom is that we can now take the, our classroom instead of, you know, teaching uh, 30 students a year at LMU and teach uh, 300,000 students every year across the world. And to pass the power. <laughs> so at first, at first, you know, for our listeners, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay to think that a, at first it's silly, it's awkward, uh, an orthodox and unusual way to, to think that something simple could really be powerful and, and effective, right? But that's a, really a major, major takeaway uh, for, for anyone uh, out there listening. Now, to answer your earlier question about the book, what we did instead, and what I recommend people get, uh, it's called uh, Money in the Brain. Uh, so we created a different type of program online. So each module has the, some of the information that's in the book, but like when I describe and show you the 86 studies on why yawning is maybe the most important and effective thing to do on a regular day, here's all the research and study and a written exercise of going through it. We know most people won't do so, but this product is a little audio button and you can push on it and I will guide you through that experience. So you're reading about it. You're being guided through this particular experience. You're pausing, you're savoring it. You're choosing to write down what you find valuable. And if it's not valuable, throw it away. Delete. There is a very interesting study that uh, shows there is an uptick of, uh, of the number of people that are now meditating. Before meditation used to be just confined to, uh, to people that are seeking or the stigma that it's only for people that are seeking enlightenment. And now spiritual development rather than mindfulness as being perhaps the most important thing to add to your healing process and taking medicine, you add mindfulness to uh, any drug that you're taking, the drug is more effective. If you add mindfulness to uh, any illness that you have, you recover, you recover more quickly. If you add mindfulness into the classroom situation, those students get better get better grades. Right. So yeah, mindfulness, you know, going, I mean, began probably around 2008, ended up being on the cover of Time Magazine and Newsweek Magazine. And we ended up on the cover of, of Time Magazine as well. And what I'm saying to everybody is that you don't need to do these 20 to 40 minute meditations that will show structural changes in your brain, which we don't know if they're important or not, but just saying that 10 seconds of mindfulness can be profoundly effective. A new study came out around pain. So the person is given uh, a painful shock and you can record what happens in the brain when you're in a brain scan machine. And when it deals with pain, there's your conscious notion of pain, your subjective notion of pain. And I'll just show kind of an arrow right here. That's the area that gets lit up. But there's also the part of your brain that goes from your brainstem to your motor cortex, which is what registers the actual pain. 
So normally you'd have with a shock, you'd have this amount of subjective pain and this amount of um, uh, neurological you know, recognition of pain. And then they just ask the person to, for the, you know, you're going to get shocked again. We don't tell you when. All I want you to do is just to say to yourself, accept. You're going to accept the fact that you're going to get a painful shock. Both the subjective um, aspect of pain dropped in half, but the actual physiological recognition of pain dropped in half simply from two seconds of accepting. Acceptance is a key part of all mindfulness. So if you have a problem, let's say you feel like you're highly anxious or you're a procrastinator or you're just a negative thinker all the time, if you simply literally mindfully accept you're a highly anxious person, literally in that day, your anxiety will drop in half. Wow. Wow. Uh, so that's new, uh, new information for me. Accept. <laughs> that, that's wonderful, Mark. Uh, so what you're saying also uh, with, with the uptick of uh, people that are now trying to, uh, to practice meditation, 7% of the, of uh, children, so they're saying 200 to or is it 300 to 500 million globally are now uh, into some sort of meditation. And out of those 7% are, are children. So that's, that's really um, intriguing uh, to me. And out of that number, 14% more are women. Uh, so why do you think that there are more women that are wanting to, um, to get into meditation? Well, there's a, there's interesting research on the difference between male and female brains. And in fact, we, everyone has a unique brain and it's very important to remember that, uh, you can have a male body and a female brain that the hormones that develop in, in your brain development is totally opposite. Uh, which by the way, is a wonderful way to look at multi-gendered perspectives. If a person has a male body, but the female brain, they may feel like they should be more feminine, but society is putting them in a masculine role in reverse. What if you have a female body, but you have a male brain, you'll be more, there's more testosterone operating up here. You're more aggressive. You might be more focused. You might be less compassionate. So that female brain does tend to have a greater anterior, a larger anterior cingulate and insula, the part of the social brain that gets stimulated through mindfulness practice. So it would be easier if you have a female brain. And I think a lot of male therapists, for example, and the really warm and empathic male doctors, if you can ever find one, uh, <laughs> you know, they would be more open and likely to appreciate that. But the people with a male brain are the ones who really need to be practicing mindfulness more. They actually have a bigger uh, amygdala. And so they tend to be a little bit more stubborn, a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more territorial. So they're more of, uh, you know, uh, competitive versus uh, mm -hmm. complementary and uh, cooperative. So mm -hmm. all that be put in thing, the best place to begin with training children in mindfulness is in kindergartens. There's programs for virtually every year, simple mindfulness thing, like maybe even just listen to the sound of the bell and, and then ask the kid, what does it feel like to 
you know, to have listened to that bell. If you go through these 10 minute per day, little mindfulness exercises for children in, in first grade, second grade, and you do it for one week, by the end of the week, those children are playing better with each other out in the playground than the other children who aren't doing that. I totally could see that. Yeah, for, for sure. But if you stop doing it, they go, they go back to their kind of greedy, selfish, uh, narcissistic thing. So in that young brain, it's both, it's neither male nor female. So it's to me, it makes a great deal of sense that we introduce our children to this as early as possible. So right. yes, I, I do think that we need, I think the world should be run by female brains. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, um, so for those that, uh, for our listeners who are beginners um, and want to improve on it or just be introduced to it, what would you suggest would be pointers uh, to help them get into um, meditation? Well, these very brief forms of meditation have proven to be far more useful and effective than the big ones. And what I like to do is simply share my screen because it'll make it easier for me to make certain, to make recommendations to it. Unfortunately, because we are the world's leading researchers in this area, uh, the products that we've created, <laughs> uh, I humbly submit are far superior to what other people are creating because they're usually using our research to create their products. Let me, let me share my screen with you. So I presume you can see this. Yes. So if you go to markrobertwaldman.com, you'll go to this page and a great place to begin is I, and even, uh, cause I also train neuro coach, uh, students, therapists and teachers and doctors and attorneys, how to do some of these neuro to bring this type of practice into the counseling and coaching world. And if you go to the front page here, you'll see that I have a lot of free eBooks. So these, uh, so this one is neuro tips for money, happiness, and success. Uh, and this will give you uh, basic, simple suggestions of things you can do. By the way, it turns out that your brain loves money and that the more your income is, the greater your happiness is, and there's no end to it. So everything you say that, you know, that money doesn't buy you happiness, apparently money does. Yes. Buy <laughs> so well, so these over, are free, right? These are all uh, free uh, materials. These are free. And over here is Love in the Brain. This is the brand new program that I created. I'm very... I, proud with it. Normally, uh, I started out, I was going to have four videos, of maybe uh, an hour each. And I ended up with 23 hours of video where I guide you step by step experientially through the seven neurological stages of love from desire and fantasy and uh, to lust and romance to uh, disappointment, rejection, even uh, spousal abuse to that level of acceptance of who you are when you when you can be guided experientially through all of the positive and negative memories you've had about love you can put them aside and then i teach for the first time in a program this compassionate communication exercise you do it with me but you do it with your but then you can do it with somebody else as well or even mm -hmm. show them the video so you have this whole experience. It's kind of the sum total of all my work. That's the love in the brain program. 
this is an ebook that will give you uh, some some of the key elements about that. But again, remember, words they just kind of float through your head. Versus if I can guide you through the experience of a yawn or an inner value, or to immerse yourself in the deepest sense of love that you have. For example, uh, here's our neuroscientific definition of love. Simply being in the present moment with another person you trust and then allowing a spontaneous interaction to emerge. That way you're suspending all of your past experiences about love, which are going to hold you in the past and are different from the person who you're with. So there's a number of free eBooks uh, we have. Actually, there's a whole section on them in NeuroCoach Press. This is one that I created specifically, uh, me and some of our certified NeuroCoaches as well, on 26 strategies for you to specifically use uh, during this COVID period of time. Because like these it. brief moments of mindfulness, guess what? Uh, you know, will turn on 1,200 stress-reducing genes and uh, about 1,000 immune-enhancing genes. And then for those who are, you know, for those who are interested as well, uh, I have a whole coach training program. I do it twice a year. I only allow 12 students into my class. And we, you know, and you're in it for a lifetime. There's over 120 videos, and we do four live conference calls every month. So for anybody who would like to be trained in these strategies to take into the educational world, the therapeutic world, the coaching world. Uh, you also asked about what would be the best uh, program for mindfulness training. And so this is the love and the brain program. This is the neuro wisdom program that I mentioned before that has built in uh, all mm -hmm. kinds of audios and videos. The Easiest program for begin to learn how to do these brief moments of mindfulness is called Neuro Wisdom 101. Is that what we used uh, yes. back yes. in the days? That's the one that we used in class, uh -huh. correct? So it's there, it's available. Mm -hmm. so here's what I'm recommending if you go to my webpage and any of these programs sound interesting to you, I want you to send an email to me. Uh, you can send it to my assistant, Oriel at markrobertwallman.com, and there's certainly a page to do it here. And just tell them that uh, you are on this uh, webinar with me and we'll give you a 50% discount coupon to anything. Wonderful. So that's 50% off by mentioning Dreamers to Leaders uh, podcast with your, um, when you email Mark's assistant and all these information, the website, Mark's information, Oriel's, uh, the um, assistant's information will be in the description on uh, the thumbnail or below the thumbnail of this episode. So, um, so if you were not able to, um, to jot down the website and whatnot, everything will all be uh, laid out um, beautifully in the description of our podcast. Uh, and, now, and, and if you're interested in the NeuroCoach training program, again, uh, send, send me a note on that and I'll send you a whole bunch of videos. Uh, one of them is basically describing this whole new brain network theory 
and uh, also how to bring compassionate communication into your work right now. So uh, I just turned 70 years old and I'm really excited that I can start putting and giving a lot, a lot of programs away to everyone who's interested. Wonderful. Now, um, we talked about, um, you know, the power, the power of, um, of meditation. So there's a saying that, uh, that the one who has his mind still, let the universe, the universe, the whole universe surrenders. For a person who has a still mind, the whole universe surrenders. So there is that potent, uh, legitimate <laughs> power to meditation. So um, can you again uh, briefly just touch on why that is so, uh, why there is truly um, power in silence and being mindful? Well, you use the word surrender and surrender is kind of like another wonderful word for acceptance. So, and again, rather than talking about it, let me give you and everyone the experiential sense of it. And this will be, and the cool thing about mindfulness, you can always, you don't have to follow somebody else's way to do any form of meditation. You can create your own form. So this is totally embedded on the spot but I know it'll be quite valuable. All of us, let's go into that state of relaxed, mindful awareness. You could yawn, you can stretch, you can gently stroke your hands, you can focus on the deep inner value. And then in this silence, think about one of your own weaknesses. Think about a problem that you have, just briefly. And then in this state of relaxed, mindful awareness, you can simply surrender to it. Let that sense of weakness flow through you. So you're observing it. You're not caught up in it. You're not believing it. When you're in this state of mindfulness, you observe all of these different thoughts and feelings and memories and sensations that are just floating through your mind. You don't have to obsess on them or lose yourself in it. If you're a high, if you feel anxiety, just watch that anxiety right now. If you feel tired, observe the tiredness, watch all the different thoughts or feelings that come up and look at your whole life and just surrender to being in the present moment right now with me and with Melody, focus on a deep inner value. It could be peace or calm or connection or gratitude. Let that flow through you. And here's the important part. If you're in this state of surrender, mindful acceptance in the present moment, just open your eyes and make connection with whomever you are with. It only takes 10 seconds before you go into a meeting, before you walk into the room to meet your partner or to see your kid, to just pause for a moment, to do a mindful yawn. Think about your deepest innermost value that you want to bring into that interaction with somebody. Learn how to have the sense of dialogue meditation where you are in the present moment, you're trusting your intuition 
that calmness and serenity, the other person will see it in your face, will right. hear it in your tone of voice, and you can pull them into that neurological state, at least for a few moments. Very, very beautiful. I love it. Now, um, uh, Mark, for those people who have traumatic experiences or very painful memories uh, of the past, toxic negative thoughts that linger uh, in their head, how does uh, meditation help in those cases? Meditation can actually, for some people, make it worse because you can, the thing about trauma is that the memories that get formed get embedded actually in a whole set of neural networks and it includes the emotional content of the original traumatic experience. Here's where, like, so in mindfulness, there is now uh, trauma-informed mindfulness to be aware that certain people with, uh, particularly with PTSD, uh, who might not benefit with eyes closed. And again, just little brief forms of mindfulness might be a whole lot better. This is one of the important parts that I built into the NeuroCoach training program, which is that in this state with another person, in, when you're in a deeply relaxed state, I, for example, can ask a person to intuitively let whatever traumatic memory comes up that they feel safe in sharing. This is very different than the therapeutic approaches where the therapist thinks they have to pull it all out. And then we just begin scene by scene. Where did that, what happened? You know, like if the little girl was uh, molested in the basement by the uncle, what's it like when she's at the top of the stairs hearing her uncle call her down? So we just take that little scene, pause, visualize yourself sitting there. But while they're doing that, they might be holding a soft object or a pillow and they're gently stroking it. It brings a sense of pleasure into it. They might be, I might ask them to again, yawn and stretch and come back in the present moment. Joseph Ledoux is one of the most important researchers in terms of trauma, threat in the brain, whatever else. It turns out that when you recall a piece, a small piece of a traumatic memory, and most traumas have a dozen tra traumas within it, when you recall a memory, it's unstable. So if you do something that is incongruent with that traumatic memory, so traumatic memory is painful, emotionally painful. What if you're doing a warm, soothing, self-nurturing touch and you're anchored in the deep inner value? as you bring up that trauma just a little bit as a scene, this disrupts the brain's ability to reconsolidate that trauma. Normally, if you just talk about your trauma, you actually strengthen the neural network and you're more encased in it. So it's a, a very simple and unique way of staying in the state of relaxed mindful awareness and being guided through scene by scene. I mean, uh, you know, uh, 15 minute traumatic experience, you, can, you only have to take about five minutes of that to go through slowly and you'll feel, you know, the, the coach uh, or the therapist will hold you in the state and make sure that you don't get trapped in the memory. And you're simultaneously relaxed and even feeling pleasure, recalling a painful memory. You'll still remember the memory, but it literally strips that memory of any emotional content. 
so because of the soothing effect of of yeah. uh, now almost kind of on the same line uh and i think i i glanced through one of your newsletter and there was a topic on how dark thoughts infidelity sexual addiction the, those thoughts have an effect on on your brain can we briefly uh touch on that Oh, if I was to yell and scream at you right now, it might take you a year to get over that particular effect. Even if I've told you that I'm going to playfully yell and scream at you right now. So strong negative experiences form much stronger memories because it could be a potential threat and your brain decides to record that very, very uh, deeply. So the same thing kind of holds true with that. If you have just a negative thought that keeps recurring, like I'm worthless, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, you can put yourself in the state of relaxed, mindful awareness. It works much better if you can just do this with a friend or a colleague to help hold that space. And then watch all, use your intuition to watch all the different thoughts that pop in and out through consciousness around being worthless. So for example, you might say, yeah, I'm no good. And then uh, you say, well, no, I am worthwhile. And then it's going, huh, uh, I guess I don't trust myself. And then sometimes what will happen is that, oh, because I'll oftentimes ask you this, did, you know, where did you first have that sense of worthlessness? And the person might go, oh, for some reason, I'm thinking of my father's face. All right, relax, be in that state. What do you hear your father saying to you? And almost always that parent is saying, you're never going to amount to much. You're not working hard enough. You're no, and it's kind of like as children, we want so much to please a toxic parent that we assume that they are right and that we are wrong. Mm -hmm. So this is the work of, you know, Seligman and positive psychology for every negative thought and feeling you have, if you could just sit back and recall three positive qualities, three things that you're grateful for, or even three things you did well that day, and you just do that seven days in a row, the research shows that your self-esteem continues to grow over the next three months, stabilize and stay high for the next three months after that. So, yeah. We have to consciously choose to have at least three times as many positive thoughts, even if we're just making them up, to every negative thought that pops into consciousness. Mm -hmm. So we hear a lot about the, the power of uh, gratitude, like sincere, sincere uh, appreciation and, and gratitude. So, um, so even with, uh, with those thoughts and, and combating that with, with what you could remember and recall that are truly positive that you're grateful for helps, yes. right? Yeah. And all, you know, all of our brain scan studies and those of Richie Davidson's and others focusing on uh, doing a gratitude meditation or a compassion meditation. These are two of the most powerful, beneficial meditations you can do. Again, I'm going to overly emphasize the point that simply 10 seconds of a gratitude or a compassionate thought for yourself and somebody else, as long as you're deeply relaxed. So the yawning is to lower that mental stress or the super slow movement to just 
relax the physical part of your body, you only need at the most, you know, I mean, 60 seconds of doing that is enough to make profound changes in your brain in the present moment where you're regrounded and then you can go back into your work or your relationships with a sense of here I am in the present moment. I'm calm. I'm serene. And in what this- I like about your, your teaching, uh, Mark, is that with 60 seconds, there's something that you could effectively do uh, to improve your day, to improve your mood, to improve your vibe. So for those that think it's overwhelming, that it's, uh, it's um, tedious, uh, and what have you, all the excuses are sort of gone when you say, you know what, dude, 60 seconds is, <laughs> is and, all and, you need. And you it's just 60 open. seconds that you really enjoy doing. That's why in all of our books and all of my programs, I'll offer you six or a dozen different ways to spend 60 seconds in gratitude, compassion, self-nurturing love, recalling a pleasurable memory from the past, thinking about somebody who cares for you. If everyone closes their eyes and you just think about somebody who you deeply care for or cared for you, you'll notice that a small half smile begins to move across your face. And then when somebody sees that small half smile, the brain scan research shows that you will neurologically trust that person. Wow. Wow. So imagine that. Um, as a matter of fact, I think you will be proud of me <laughs> by, uh, because with, with, you know, it's been a long time since, uh, since we had the class, but because I really thought that that brain based conversation was truly powerful. I had like it, I had like an acronym, uh, for it. Um, just so I could remember it and it's kind of making it my own, right? Um, and it's the three R and the three S. So the three R's would be uh, relax. So if let's say I'm communicating with, or I know that I'll be communicating with so-and-so. So A, relax, recall a pleasant memory, restate your core value. And the three S's are A, S, smile, the Mona Lisa smile, right? <laughs> uh, speak softly and speak slowly or slower. So it's a challenge, you know, I always have to like uh, catch myself, but I think there is truly, um, you know, potency uh, in that. But you always have that beautiful smile on your face. And I think that's one of the reasons why you, if not already, are going to be one of the most, most well-loved podcasters. I love it. Thank you. Hey, um, so as we wrap it up, uh, Mark, we talked about how, um, you know, there is that increase in people uh, trying to meditate. And because of that, the apps that are up out there that uh, tackles meditation, mindfulness, it's around 195 million. In, in revenue is kind of the, the study, the recent study. Uh, but amongst all that are out there, what would you, um, what would you recommend uh, to our audience? Very simple. Pick anyone that you like that feels valuable, meaningful, it gives you a sense of pleasure. And the, more, the moment it becomes boring or repetitive, switch to another one. 
Love it's it. The, yes. It's the same thing around weight loss as well. You know, whatever weight loss program you find interesting and exciting in, you're going to follow until your brain figures out, eh, I'm going to go back to my old ways. At that moment, go change to another diet. Doesn't matter what it is. So the benefit and the mistake that's been made in a lot of spiritual practices is that you have to do this kind of sata, nama, sata, you know, and do that for the rest of your life if you want to be enlightened. No, if you want to be, if you want to have a healthy brain, I don't care that much about enlightenment. If you want to be in the present moment and just feel that sense of enjoyment of being alive, create your own meditations, change them all the time, experiment with everybody's different style and only do it for as long as you feel as it's enjoyable and pleasurable and then go do something else. Wow. So, um, hey, Mark, you've shared a lot of uh, compelling, insightful, worthwhile, extremely uh, valuable uh, concepts and techniques uh, to our audience out there. So it truly is a treat uh, to share this uh, to our listeners. So, um, so this wraps up our show. It concludes our show. Thank you again, Mark. <laughs> And for all our audience out there, for all the dreamers out there, keep believing. You got this. Till next time.